This morning, I'd like to have you turn to Revelation chapter 13. Revelation chapter 13. A couple of weeks ago, we were in Revelation chapter 6, as, just as a springboard into uh, the prophecy update that we began a few weeks ago. And uh, I focused my attention back then on a couple of things. The most important thing was that uh, uh, there is this uh, battle against the Word of God. And uh, our dear friend Greg Reed last week expanded on that particular theme even more, on, on the war against God's Word. And uh, was, was bridging a gap for us uh, in coming into this particular uh, uh, study that I want to do on something called globalization or globalism. And it's something that is happening and has been happening actually longer than we could, could even expect. But it is something that is affecting what is happening in the world today as we wait, number one, for the coming of Jesus Christ, and as the world itself is awaiting for a one world leader. Now, to go along with that, I think that we all, if we pay attention to good news sources, and I really mean that, I, I think that sometimes we, we get the, the worst of news sources to, to listen to. But if we look at and, 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 and uh, objectively look at good news sources, we'll find that there is a tremendous war, not only against God's word, but against Christians and Christianity as well. And we're finding that uh, even in, in what some people would consider in just um, situations such as the vice president uh, Pence's wife who got a, a part-time job at a Christian school and she's attacked for that simply because she got a job at a Christian school. Then we have, of course, the, the kids from that Covington Catholic uh, High School that were attacked, brutally attacked uh, uh, verbally by many news media without ever knowing the facts of what had happened at the March for Life that they were attending. And that took center stage of news for, for a while this past week. I woke up this morning to find out that uh, in the Philippines, uh, a Catholic church was, was bombed and a number of people were killed during a church service. Now, no matter what we think of, of Catholicism or whatever, the fact of the matter is it was bombed by an Islamic terrorist group that exists very strongly in the southern part of the Philippines. I've been to the Philippines and I've seen somewhat of the uh, the nature of, of how they uh, despise anything that has to do with the cross of Jesus Christ. But this is just staggering that we see this happening. And one major reason for this is this ideology or philosophy or religion, as it were, that's called 
globalism. So I'd like to read Revelation chapter 13 to you, verses 1 through 10. I believe your bulletins say 1 through 9, but I added one verse. And John, the apostle, writes, And I stood upon the sand of the sea and saw a beast rise up out of the sea. Now, I'm just going to define certain things along the way. We're not going to study this particular passage, but I'm, I'm reading it for a reason. The beast is the Antichrist. So this is very descriptive symbolism, but nonetheless, the beast is the Antichrist. Rise up out of the sea, the sea of humanity, having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the name of blasphemy. Literally in the Greek, that is the names of blasphemies. It is not just a singular name, it is many names. And blasphemy comes in many shapes and sizes. And the beast which I saw was like unto a leopard, and his feet were as the feet of a bear, and his mouth as the mouth of a lion. So you realize the, uh, how fierce these symbolisms are. And the dragon gave him his power. The dragon is the devil. The dragon is Satan. We know that from chapter 12. The dragon gave him his power and his seed and great authority. Please understand that that is all within the context of the God who is in control of all things, allowing this to happen. And I saw one of his heads, as it were, wounded to death, and his deadly wound was healed. Now understand that the Antichrist is a false Christ. And a counterfeit Christ will do everything to assume some understanding, uh, you know, get people uh, some connection to the real Christ who died and rose again. But this is a false Christ. And all the world wondered after the beast. Not just those in the Middle East or not just those in the West, all the world. wondered after the beast in amazement and they worshiped the dragon which gave power unto the beast are we coming to a time when Satan himself is going to be worshipped being worshipped already did we not have some actor in Hollywood Christian Bale actually give thanks to Satan when he received an award just last, within the last couple of weeks. Interesting. And they worship the beast, notice. They worship the Antichrist as well. Saying, who is like unto the beast? Who is able to make war with him? And there was given unto him a mouth, speaking great things and blasphemies. And power was given unto him to continue forty and two months. That would be three and a half years. And he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle and them that dwell in heaven. Which is kind of interesting because those who are dwelling on the earth today are being blasphemed and spoken evil against. 
For it to say that they who dwell in heaven are being blasphemed or, or being spoken of evil kind of gives us an indication that we're not here. And it was given unto him to make war with the saints. The saints would be the saints, both the Jewish people during the time of the seven-year tribulation and also the uh, tribulation saints that come to the Lord during that time. It was given unto him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And power was given him over all kindreds and tongues and nations. That's the globalization we're talking about. That the Antichrist is given power over all kindreds and tongues and nations, and not only governmentally, but notice the next verse, and all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him, whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. And what we hear cries for today is for a one-world government and a one-world religion. Unmistakably, this is happening today. And so in verse 9 it says, if any man have an ear, let him hear. Folks, open up your ears. These things are happening today. He that leadeth into captivity shall go into captivity. He that killeth with a sword must be killed with a sword. This is that principle that we see throughout all of Scripture. That those who inflict, and in the way that they inflict some kind of pain or some kind of death to others will receive it themselves. And this, it says, here is the patience and the faith of the saints. This is why we are to be patient. And this is why we're to trust in the Lord. Because he ultimately is in control. With all that in mind, we are living today in a connected world. We are living in a connected world. What, what technology has done in the last 50 years or so to take us from, a very, or from very divided nation states, divided by time zones and distances and political ideologies, economies, religions, secular philosophies and the like, to nearly a global oneness where we can actually see what is happening on the other side of the world in real time, whether through television or, or the internet or even on, on your smartphone, has revolutionized not only the way people live, but also the way people think. Can you imagine? I mean, just think about it just for a moment. What we have, what we carry around every day, what we take for granted sometimes. You remember when, when, when cell phones first came out? They had to use two hands. They called them bricks. And nowadays, oh, by the way, you know what you use those things for? To make phone calls. What do we use our phones today for? Everything else. This is a much better computer than the very first computer I ever got. Does anybody agree with me? You got your whole photo library here, videos, you can watch TVs, movies, and you can bump into walls real easy. <laughs> Amazing what's happened. But don't think that that's always a good thing. 
we're being watched. Everything we do is being watched. What you listen to, what you see, what websites you bring up. You ever notice some of the advertisements that come up after you've gone to a website? They're not looking into your life. That's globalization. This kind of connectivity should be a serious concern <laughs> to, every, to every believer in Jesus Christ living in the last days and awaiting the soon return of our Lord and Savior, who is our blessed hope. We should be concerned about these things. It is a major concern for us, quite simply, because one of the main targets, if not the main target of the globalist, which I'll define shortly enough or soon enough, has been and will be biblical Christianity. Not just Christianity, but biblical Christianity. The globalists like certain Christians that will come along and say, oh, listen, you know, we, yeah, we're Christians, but, <laughs> but we like the way you do things. We'll join hands with you about certain things. As Greg referenced last week, you know, there, there, are, people, there, there are Christians in, 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 in Christian, quote-unquote, Christian garb going to abortion clinics and praying for them because they think it's a good thing. I'll talk about the abortion law in New York in just a minute. Or those that say, well, but we believe in same-sex marriage. I don't know about you, but I don't see that in the scripture. So it's biblical Christianity that's the target. And while it has been under attack for nearly 2,000 years, it is facing its greatest challenges in the 21st century, not only from the secular world, but even from within visible Christianity, or what I oftentimes call the visible church. Now there's a statement that made by the Apostle Paul in the third chapter of the book of Philippians that has powerful prophetic overtones to it. And I say overtones, not just undertones. Undertones means, well, it just kind of has a slight reference to prophetic things. The more I read this, the more I realized it's, it's talking about today. Even though he was speaking of his own time and revealing a problem that existed in the church then, it's the problem we see in the church today. Philippians 3, verses 17 through 21, it says, Brethren, be followers together of me. And mark them which walk so as you have us for an example, or an insample. Paul's not being arrogant here and saying, follow, just follow me. No, he's saying, listen, I follow Christ, so follow me. And follow everyone else that follows after Jesus. And gives the example of that. Follow after them. Those that are serious about the word of God, those that are serious about doing things according to the scriptures. Because notice what he says in verse 18, For many walk, of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. He's not talking about people outside of the church. The context has to do with who you follow in the church. They're the enemies of the cross of Christ. Christ. 
And he goes on and he says, whose end is destruction. Whose God is their belly. Paul, remember this, Paul is under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in writing these words. Their end is destruction. Walking into a church, and I've said this very often, you've, all, you've probably heard it in other, in other venues or whatever, but walking into a church makes you no more of a Christian if, than, than, than you walking into a, a garage makes you a car. It is what you hold to, it's what you believe in. Whose glory is in their shame. They're proud of what they believe. But notice, here's the reason. Who mind earthly things? <coughs> Who mind earthly things? And he says, for our conversation, which by the way, that word in, in the Greek means citizenship. Whose citizenship is in heaven. From whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, who shall change our vile body. Listen to what he's saying. Because we are living in a time where people, even in the church, are minding earthly things. And we're looking for Jesus Christ. What are they looking for? My question to you is, what are you looking for? We need to be looking for Jesus. From whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus, who shall change our vile body. When? At the rapture of the church. Or at resurrection. This is as prophetic as it comes. That it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. Speaking of minding earthly things, when professing Christians turn away from a biblical worldview, the way we view everything in this life is either seen from the perspective of the world or it's seen from the perspective of God's word. That's a biblical worldview. That's what every true believer in Jesus Christ is to have, a biblical worldview. And the only way that you can sustain that and, and strengthen that is by staying in the Word of God. So when professing Christians turn away from a biblical worldview, then it is easy for the things of the world to become attractive to those who may be considered Christian in name only. <laughs> Excuse me. Consider, if you will, a statement made by Desmond E. Berghofer. You don't have to remember his name, unless you want to. Desmond E. Berghofer, who is described in his bio, which you find at creativelearning.ca, which is Canada. So he's a Canadian, probably an educator, dealing with creative learning, as it were. But he is described there in his bio as a leader of new thinking for a sustainable future. Now, you're going to hear words today 
that I'm going to tell you every time you hear them, your antennas need to go up. Sustainable is one of those words, as it is used by globalists. He is a leader of new thinking for a sustainable future. Well, he wrote something in a book called The Visioneers, a courage story about belief in the future. And he wrote this, and it's going to be up here so you can see it. I want you to see it. He wrote, and I quote, the supreme motivating concept of the future is synergy. I'll define it for you in just a moment, unless you already know what it means. But it's kind of defined in the text because it says men and women of all nations coming together. Basically, the word synergy means coming together or working together. So the supreme motivating concept of the future is synergy. Men and women of all nations coming together under leaders of great vision who see that the purpose of a common ideal, one world, one earth, capitalized earth, one people is the reason for all existence. I don't know about you, but I thought that our reason for existence is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And to love one another as you love yourself. And this hangs all of the law and the prophets. So the pursuit of a common ideal, one world, one earth, one people is the reason for all existence. Synergy, as I said, is the creation of a whole that is greater than the simple sum of its parts. The term synergy comes from the Greek word uh, uh, synergia, or, or from synergos, which means working together. And then there's a man named Neil Donald Walsh. Anybody heard of Neil Donald Walsh? Anybody? Nobody? Interesting. He's made all the circuits, you know, around all the TV programs, probably with Oprah, too, because she's the one who really digs into this stuff. But Neil Donald Walsh, who is somewhat of a New Age guru, author of a series of books entitled Conversations with God. I'm still trying to figure out which God he's talking about. He's quoted as saying things like, the world is starving for a new spiritual truth, a truth that works in sustaining life. There's that word again, not a truth that brings an end to life. He's also said, in truth, there is nothing evil, only objective phenomena and experience. Well, forget about all that stuff, because he's also quoted as saying this in one of his conversations with God. He said, you will all one day melt into oneness. You will all one day melt into oneness. Going back to Berghofer, who I quoted earlier, used a term. The term is visioneering. Visioneering as the task of dreaming potential futures. In effect, it was a, and I quote again, a call to embed a planetary philosophy as expressed through, and listen to this, the world core curriculum. The world core curriculum. Those of you who are educators, Christian educators, true Christian educators, and you're a true Christian, but you're an educator, whether at public or private school. You've all had to deal with something called Common Core, right? Okay, 
Well, this is kind of a connection to that, but it's called the World Core Curriculum. And uh, it is a call to embed a, this planetary philosophy through the World Core Curriculum into Canada's education system and thus shape a generation of global citizens. <coughs> global citizens. I spoke to a, an educator last night after the service who's also a, actually an administrator. In the, in the public schools, who has seen the evil of this, this issue of co common core curriculum, how it has seeped into it as, as almost brainwashing into kids that see things only through that certain perspective, the perspective of globalism. It's in our schools today. This Berghofer was an organizer of the Global Citizenship 2000 Youth Congress that had as one of its mottos, we came to assert oneness. We came to assert oneness. In its opening ceremony, there were many banners displayed, one of which gave the Congress's message. Here it is. You ready for the message? We are interconnected to the earth to the energy of the universe, to each other. This is to educators and students. Remember, this is just one example of what is going on throughout the world today. This is just one small example of the globalism that is affecting our youth today. One last point on this event that I talked about. Christian author and researcher Carl Teichrib, who actually attended this Congress, he went in to see what they were teaching, what, it was, what was going on. He's also gone to many other forums at the United Nations, going in as one who's there to see what's going on. But he went to this Congress in, in Canada and he reported this in his book called Game of Gods. And I quote, as an expression of this unity we each received, so, so he was a participant, so he received something. As an expression of this unity, we, we each received a, symbol, a symbolic global citizenship passport. Inspired by the work of famed world government advocate Gary Davis, the words on the inside back page encapsulated the purpose of our Congress. And what's written on the back page of that passport is this. A good inhabitant of the planet Earth, capitalized E, Earth, a member of the great human family, you are the Earth become conscious of herself. And then it says, unite global citizens to save and heal planet Earth. They want to unite and save the earth. Save the seals, save the whales, clean up our oceans. I'm not saying that some of this is bad. What I am saying is they have no concept whatsoever that this earth is passing away and you can't keep it. From that, 
as well as the fact that God has said, this heaven and this earth will pass away. It will be destroyed. And a new heaven and a new earth will come. Beware of words such as connection, connectivity, synchronicity, expansion, transcendental, Words like numinous, which means suggesting the presence of a divinity. The idea is not that there's a God in your midst. The idea is that you, wherever you are, there's a God there. Or the phrase, the sublime moment, the kairos, the the sublime moment that is used to describe the inner shift from otherness to oneness. Oneness with each other, oneness with the planet, oneness with everyone and everything. And simply what they are leading to is the idea of the God in you the God in you. Last time I checked, there's only one God. And he would send his Holy Spirit to be upon us, with us, and in us. But he's still separate from his creation because he still is only one God and the only true God. Yep. So once again, the Apostle Paul, under the leading and inspiration of the Holy Spirit, makes clear to us the grand distinction between the seeker of the world and the true believer in Jesus Christ. When he says in Romans 12, verses 1 through 3, he says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, speaking to believers, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, set apart. By the way, set apart from the world, set apart unto God. Acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. We humble ourselves before God. That's our reasonable service of worship, which is your and my reasonable service. What is reasonable here is that we humble ourselves before the one God of creation, the one true God. And then it says, and be not conformed. Be not conformed to this world. That word conformed is very, very significant. In the Greek is the word sischematizo, sischematizo, schema. We get schematics from that, which means that we are to fashion ourselves according to. So we are not to be fashioned according to the things of the world, but to be transformed, changed completely 
by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And then Paul goes on to say, For I say, through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly or seriously. Excuse me, according as God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. We can add the words given to the Apostle John in his first letter to the church. Y'all are familiar with this passage. I read it a lot. 1 John 2, verses 15 through 17. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the Father, the love of the Father is not in him. I don't know about you, but that's pretty clear. doesn't take a whole lot to interpret that passage. Very clear. Don't love the world. Don't love the things that, that are in the world. Because if any man loves the world, places the world above God, in other words. The love of the Father is not in him. Not in him. That's a pretty clear distinction. You can say that you're a believer. You can say that you go to church. You can say that you do this or you can do that. But if you love the world more than you love God and Jesus Christ and his word and all the things that pertain to the Lord... The love of the Father is not in you. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, those three things that take us back to the garden in Genesis chapter 3, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, the desire for good things, the, you know, the spectacle of seeing something that's so beautiful to want it, to lust after it with your eyes, like the fruit. The pride of life. Eat of the fruit. What do you get? The serpent said, listen, if you eat of the fruit, you'll be like God. And you'll be as gods. By the way, that's globalization. is not of the Father, but is of the world, and the world passes away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. I say that's the good thing for us to do, to do the will of God. And the will of God is to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, to believe and to trust and to depend upon the Lord Jesus Christ in everything. Getting back for just a moment to Neil Donald Walsh, who has described oneness as the new spirituality and the awakening of what he calls tomorrow's God. Listen to this quote, all is God and God is all. Everything is divine. Everything is divine. The chair that you're sitting on, is that divine? The car that brought you here, now I know some people think of cars as being a little divine, you know. The car that brought you here, is that divine? Now, now think of this one statement. And I quote, Our conception of yesterday's God was couched in destructive separateness. An, exclus an exclusivist deity standing outside of creation. Who is he talking about? 
Tomorrow's evolutionary-oriented God will emerge through a revolution in spiritual and social interconnection. Wow. Is this statement describing the one true God? In other words, yesterday's God? The one true God who created the heavens and the earth by the word of his power in contrast to a completely unifying false deity? Tomorrow's God? By the way, the only thing that they got right is that he is truly above his creation. They call it destructive separateness. God calls it holiness. He stands outside of his creation because he's above his creation. But don't think this started in Canada or had its beginning at the turn of the last century or even going back further to the age of enlightenment, uh, 17th and 18th centuries. No, it, it goes back much further. I've already referenced to it. The New Age oneness philosophy religion began with Satan who posed as the serpent in Genesis chapter 3. We're there in verses 1 through 5. It says, now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, yea, has God said? Greg emphasized this last week. Did God really say that? Did God really say you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. Did you see the deception in the question? The first question? <laughs> Did he really say you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Oh, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Which is not quite accurate, but... That's what she said to him. And the serpent said unto the woman, You shall not surely die. The serpent said to the woman, God's a liar. God's a liar. For God does know that in the day that you eat thereof, then your eyes shall be open, and you shall be as God's. There's the third stinger. You'll be just like him. Knowing good and evil, you'll be as God's. That's what the world wants today. They don't want a God that is above creation, that gives us a book as to how we are to live, a book that describes him in his love, in his mercy, his grace, his truth, but also in his holiness, his righteousness, his justice. Man, you, you hear terms thrown all over the place. Social justice warriors. Really? The Me Too movement. Black Lives Matter. You know, Antifa, you know, the anti-fascist things, you know. They throw the fascist thing around like they know what a fascist really is. Without history, they don't know what true fascism was. On and on and on. 
Do you know the one label that they should use that they don't use ever? Sinner. And yet the Bible says all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. By the way, sin did not begin on earth. It began in heaven. Iniquity and all its mystery didn't originate in the heart of man. It had its tragic source inside of an angelic being of the highest order. It came into the Garden of Eden fully grown. And it was introduced there by Satan himself, described, or disguised, I should say, as a serpent. <laughs> it is quite significant that three chapters in, from the beginning of the Word of God, just think about this. Think about the order in the mind of God. That three chapters in from the beginning of the word of God, the serpent appears for the first time. Three chapters in from the end of the scriptures, he is seen for the last time. Sadly, though, the result of his work is seen on every page in between. From the fall of man into sin and progressively wicked continuation that would introduce new challenges to the existence of God's creation on the earth, to an outright destruction of the earth by flood, this plan of the enemy of our souls would just continue. Genesis 6 verses 1 through 5. Wish we had more time to be in Genesis 6. I'll just have to set that time aside later. But in Genesis 6 verses 1 through 5 it says, And it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born unto them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were fair, and they took them wives of all which they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for, he that, for that he also is flesh, yet his day shall be 120 years. And there were giants in the earth in those days. By the way, you have to make that connection with the sons of God and the daughters of men. Sons of God were not human. That's why we have to come back to Genesis 6. Because where did giants come from? That's the whole purpose of this context. There were giants in the earth in those days and also after that. When the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men and they bare children to them, the same became mighty men which were of old, men of renown. We sometimes use the word renown for something of, of, of greatness of people. The word is used here <coughs> simply to say that these men were renowned only in the fact that they were giants. And in fact, in, the, in those days, giants weren't good. There weren't good giants and bad giants. They were just bad giants. And God saw, and look, and look at the result. God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it goes on to describe that God was going to destroy the earth and God was going to destroy man for, its, for his terrible sin, for the wickedness of his, uh, of his imaginations and, his, and the thoughts of his heart. 
But there's something else that you should not forget, and that is that God was also destroying the animals. He could have left the animals. But why did he destroy the animals? There's something written into the law in the book of Leviticus that talks about that. It's called bestiality. And obviously there must have been a lot of bestiality during that time. God destroys the earth, except for eight people. Noah, his wife, his sons, and their wives. Eight people. But even after Noah's family settled back on the earth after the flood, there was still (laughs) the fleshly desire for forsaking the one true God to become gods. There was still that in man. Why? Because those that were on the ark still were sinners. Though they could be righteous, they could be believe in God as Noah did. He was, a, he was a righteous man. But they, there was still that seed of wanting to become God. Genesis 10, verses 8 through 10, we meet a man named Nimrod. And Cush begat Nimrod. The word Nimrod comes from a, a, a word marad, which means to rebel. Built into his name is the character of his heart before God. He was a rebel. He began to be a mighty one in the earth. Do you know that the word mighty is the word gibor, which can also be used for giant. And many people believe that Nimrod himself was a giant and received a lot of attention for that very reason, that he was a leader in that sense, that he was renowned for his size. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord, it says. Wherefore it is said, even as Nimrod, the mighty hunter before the Lord. Before doesn't mean that he stands before the Lord doing whatever the Lord bids him, no. The word before here means against. Literally means against God. And the beginning of his kingdom was Babel, and Erech, and Akkad, and Kalne, in the land of Shinar. And we know what happens next, immediately in the next chapter, chapter 11, verses 1 through 4. And the whole earth was of one language and of one speech. Here is the initial globalization. Fleshed out from the root in Genesis chapter 3. You can be as gods. And it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar and they dwelt there. (coughs) Excuse me. And they said one to another, go to, let us make brick and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and slime had they for mortar. You know when God commanded his people to build, what did he tell them to build with? He told them to build with stone. Why? Because God was the one that created the stone. What does man go and do? In his own power, in his own mind, in his own intellect, he says, we're going to build our own structures with our own materials. We'll make brick. We'll make mortar. That's man-made. And they said, go to, let us build us a city. Build us a city. 
Let us build us a global community where we can all synergize and work together. A city and a tower whose top may reach unto heaven. And let us make us a name. Lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. We want a name. We want, our put, we want to put our banner in our own place. This is ours. This is who we are. So here's a question. If, if the world was a wonderful, glorious place to live, would we even want to go someplace else, like heaven? If the world was such a wonderful place to live, would, would we want to go anyplace else? Folks, it's not a wonderful place to live. No matter how much people try to be globalized, It hasn't come about since the inception of the, of the United Nations. Man does not know how to bring peace, true peace about. If this world were like heaven, isn't that the devil's greatest deception? To get people to think that this is heaven on earth? We can have heaven on earth here. We can clean up the planet. That's why so many people have been duped by this understanding of, of climate change. I don't know about you, but I've always believed in climate change. Especially living in El Paso. It changes all the time. That's why I'm sick. It's cold one day, it's hot another. Ah! Last time I checked, we still have summer, spring, you know, I'm not doing this in order, but, you know, we have spring, summer, fall, and winter. We have, we still have those. Now, in some places, they only have a couple of seasons, but for the most part in the world, we still, what do we, we've been complaining, I know this, we couldn't wait till it got cooler. Right? We couldn't wait till it got cooler. Oh my gosh. <laughs> then it gets cool. It gets cold, then it gets cold. Oh, I can't wait till this warms up. Is this not what we go through every year in El Paso? But they're making climate change the, the way it's being presented around the world. Oh, you know, climate change could, start, could end wars, you know, if we do things right. What are you talking about? What kind of idiots do you think we are? My goodness. You know, when you uncover the layers of deception in the world today, even the issues that we see in our own country, the partial shutdown, the border wall, the, the calling for the impeachment of the president, the desire to abolish the Electoral College, having new, newly elected members of Congress expressing anti-Semitic hatred and and wanting, by the way, this week, one of them wanted leniency for people arrested for wanting just to join ISIS. They were arrested because they wanted to join a terrorist group. And she said, we need to have leniency on them. I mean, these things also 
are motivated by a desire to bring about a one-world government system. But it isn't as idealistic as global citizenship passports. You know, I spoke last time of the number one cause of death worldwide. Remember what it was? Abortion. And just this past week, the New York legislature passed a a radical pro-abortion bill that would allow unborn babies to be aborted for basically any reason up to birth. And you look at, you look at this, this bill that was signed, by the way, by Governor Cuomo and actually applauded by those in attendance. Where has this world gone? Where has this country gone to? But you read it carefully and you realize there's so much vague language in it that all you can see <coughs> clearly, all you can see clearly is that there's no real reason. And there are doctors today that are saying there's no reason to abort any child in the third trimester. It's all selfishness. And millions and millions of babies have been murdered. Try to change the language. Well, it's a fetus. No, last time I checked, it's a baby. It's a human baby. A human baby that had been seen before it even entered into its mother's womb by the God who created it. Proverbs 16, verse 25 says, There is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Is that not lived out this week? Proverbs 21, verse 2, Every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord pondereth the hearts. He searches the hearts, he ponders the hearts, he examines the hearts, not because he needs to know what's in it, he already knows. How do people live with themselves? From the text that we read in Revelation 13, or the text that we read in Revelation 13, we should know without any doubt that there is an Antichrist standing in the wings to come onto the scene that is being said in our day and time, and we should be well informed and well prepared for the return of Jesus Christ for his church. And by the way, I, I, I am going to go into this next week. I, I, by the way, next week is Super Sunday. I think I've mentioned that. Y'all are thinking football, but don't think football. Because I'm going to speak about a super event that the scripture talks about that we need to be looking for. That makes Super Sunday, hey, I tell you what, that makes Super Sunday even better. So after church, when we think about what we're going to hear, then we can go and make all of our nice little dishes, you know, that we're going to have for the afternoon. And not watch any game, we're just going to eat. Just kidding. We need to be well informed, <coughs> well, <clears throat> well prepared for the return of Jesus Christ for his church. The new world order and Bible prophecy, global government, antichrist ruling it, as crazy as it seems, was actually popularized by John Lennon 
for all the useful idiots who still believe man can bring about world peace. By the way, the term useful idiots was, was actually uh, one used by, it was, I think it was either Stalin or Lenin, but it was used about the people that are falling into the, the understanding of socialism or communism as being a great thing. And they're using, you know, I mean, uh, they infiltrated, you know, we talk about collusion and all. They, uh, the communists infiltrated the government of the United States back in the 40s. And it's been, in effect, a problem since then. They call them useful idiots. Listen to these words of John Lennon. Imagine there's no countries. It isn't hard to do. Nothing to kill or die for. And no religion too. You know what that's aimed at? Christianity. Imagine all the people living life in peace. You may say I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. I hope someday you'll join us and the world will live as one. Oneness, apart from God. Sadly, that is true. There will be a oneness upon all those who will be judged for their rejection of Jesus Christ when given every opportunity to come to the love of Christ, to be changed by the blood of Christ and the word of God. The words of John Lennon in a word were demonic. Demonic. Jesus said in Luke 17 and verse 26 and following it, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it also be in the days of the Son of Man. They did eat, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark. The flood came and destroyed them all. Don't forget that Noah was called a preacher of righteousness, which means that he didn't just build an ark. He went out and he told people, judgment is coming. And people said, Likewise, also, as it was in the days of Lot, they did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built it. In other words, life was going on. But the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. As much as righteous Lot was vexed by living in Sodom, there was a full-on rejection of the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Lot being Abraham's nephew. Angels had to come to destroy. The sin was more than just sexual sins, but nonetheless, that was one of the key sins of Lot's time. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 3 through 5, for when they say, when they shall say peace and safety, peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them. 
where, when they're all on a, a mountain hillside holding hands and drinking Coca-Cola like they did in that 60s commercial, thinking that that's all that's going to bring peace to the earth. It's finally come. There's a man. Sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, that the day shall overtake you as a thief. You are all the children of light, the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. So those of us who are in the light, stay in the light. Don't mess with the darkness. Let your light so shine, Jesus said, before men. Let me close with Luke 21, verses 24 through 28. Because this is something that I remind you of every Sunday, every time we get together, every Wednesday. I remind you of these things. Down toward the end. But here it says, in verse 24, just to show you where we are today, close to where we are today. They shall fall by the edge of the sword, and they shall be led away captive into all nations. And Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles be fulfilled. The time of the Gentiles has lasted a long time. Some believe it started at the uh, destruction of Jerusalem in AD 70. Of course, the land was left desolate for many years until 1948. But even after 1948, a strange thing that happened in 48, after they came into, uh, uh, not 48, but actually 1967 in the Six-Day War, Moshe Dayan, who was the commander of the forces, actually let Jordan continue to keep part of, the, of Jerusalem. And people were wondering what was going on. Well, the time of the Gentiles hasn't ended. When that time comes and when it ends, that's when it will be fulfilled. But notice this, and there shall be signs in the sun and in the moon and in the stars. Anybody see the eclipse this past week? Amazing. I'm not going to go into the details of it, but the fact of the matter is they're signs. Upon the earth, distress of nations. You know, we're, brain, we're, we're uh, uh, brainwashing our kids in, our, in public schools today. We're saying, you know, listen, if we just all get together, maybe if we all just say om, things will get better. We'll have a harmonic convergence as they did a few years ago in various spiritualistic sites all across the world, right? I called it the moronic conversion because it solved nothing. It's a deception of the enemy. We still have distress of nations, don't we? With perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring, men's hearts failing them for fear. And for looking after those things which are coming on the earth, for the powers of heaven shall be shaken. People are worried about Asteroids attacking the earth again like it did maybe, maybe billions of years ago. 60 million years ago. Is anybody there to see it? That's what science tells us it is. That's kind of bad science. Because science is about what you see. What's observed. Not a fairy tale. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Six 24-hour days. 
All right. Oh, I'm carrying you all too long. Oh, got to finish. And then shall they see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now, verse 28. And when these things begin to come to pass, then look up and lift up your heads. For your redemption draweth nigh. Your redemption draws near. Are you looking up? I came to the Lord back in the very early, early, early 70s. That's a long time ago. 48 years ago. I'm still looking up. I haven't listened to the scoffers who said, where's, this, where's the promise of his coming? It's coming. They've been believing this for 2,000 years. If Paul was still around today, he'd still be looking up. Because it's not about our time. It's about God's time. What we need to do is get ready. Because I can tell you this. Jesus is coming.